This episode of Inspiration Point is brought to you by the Quests and Chaos Podcast Network and the generous patrons over on patreon.com slash inspiration point. So we'd like to give a big shout out to Punching Potato, Garlic Bread, Eric, Dragon Workshop, Spike, and Red Dead Coquette. And at our Muse $20 level, we'd like to thank Prostaskias, Leroy, Kate, Jeremy, Jenna, Jacob, Falangor, and Cheryl. Thank you for helping us bring a little inspiration out into the world. And now, on with the show. And how are you doing today? Hanging in there. How about yourself? Oh, man. I'm I'm hanging in there as well. That's actually a good way to put it. I am still waiting to move. And tomorrow, oh, no. I'm going back to work. So, this Heck. will be fun and awkward but it's it's okay do they have any eta on that uh yeah i have a walkthrough date of course it's also been moved a few times yeah a little hard to trust it at that point huh yeah it is a little hard to trust it at that point so we'll see hopefully it's not too much longer hopefully i've only been working for about a week before i get to move in so, you know, everything happens at, at once, you know, when it rains, it pours, you know, you, you don't have a job, then you go apply and you get two offers, right? Mm-hmm. And that's after a long spell of nothing. Oh, of course. Always. Always. Right. And then, then you have to make the awkward decision of telling someone, no, thank you. It's always something like that. Never fails. Never fails. But otherwise, uh, it's been a good week for me. Has your week been good? Uh, it's been it's been okay. I've you know readjusting to being in Alaska for a little while. Uh, the mosquitoes are hellacious, and the weather is strange. Wow, mosquitoes that live in the icy climate. I thought they I mean, looked more for like humid, warm weather. It's pretty humid and warm here at the moment. No, uh, there's a standing joke that is uh, not incorrect that mosquitoes are the Alaska state bird. <laughs> During the winter, uh, they they have their eggs that just, like, stay and are fine through the cold for some reason. And then when everything thaws out, they, they get hatched and then uh, swarms descend. Well, um, I would not want to go there then. I always thought, man, going to Alaska would be really cool. You know, it might be really beautiful. I I thought they were going to be free of such things. <laughs> I wish. Uh it is it is beautiful. Like I'll send you pictures later that I that I took while I'm here, but uh the mosquitoes are definitely a a challenge. Uh definitely load up on mosquito repellent if you're going outside of cities. Okay. And and uh they're not large enough that you can talk to them and go on adventures. I Unfortunately, man, that would be cool. I'd love to like, honey, I shrunk the kids down to just tiny <laughs> size and use it and, and have like four of them carry me around like a palaquin or something. <laughs> honey, I shrunk the kids. You know, I'm old enough that I saw that movie in the theaters when I was a child. Oh, man, I, I grew up on it. And I mean, the sequels as well, but they weren't ever as good as the first one. No, 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 not at all. Uh, but the, the that first one was pretty good. I love Rick Moranis, you know. Um, it's too bad that he decided to quit acting for a while and get a life, you know, like actually enjoy his family and stuff. Uh, what a you loser. Know, 
You know, you, you got to have them go away and come back because then they bring all that life experience back with them. If you have them get stuck in the Hollywood cycle for too long, they lose That's track true. of being human. That is really true. Yeah, you remember when Brendan Fraser disappeared forever and then he came back and like won an Oscar or something? Yeah, his, his story has been really interesting, so it's been good to see him come back. Yeah, well, um, let's see. Uh, as far as gaming news goes, I've been hearing more and more news about Baldur's Gate 3. Uh, we're getting closer and closer to the end. Uh, the, the Dragonborn and the Orc, or Half-Orc, I should say, are all confirmed. They've got all the classes in. People are saying the Monk's really fun. So it is a lot to look forward to. I'm excited. To, I'm excited to give it a try. I've never played a Baldur's Gate game, and this seems like uh, an interesting opportunity to jump in. Oh wow, that's that's really interesting. I actually uh, I did play it back in like junior high, high school, the original. Uh, I have played the second one a bit, but I've never actually completed it. And you know, when I was playing the OG Baldur's Gate, I mean, it came in a pack that I think I got at Target. And it was a pack of like six different CDs. Oh man, I remember those days. <laughs> and yeah, well, you get to a certain level, and it's like, please switch to disc number two, right? <laughs> those were the days, my guy. Those were the days. And <laughs> I, I'm not sure if I miss it or not. Like, there's a certain element of, I mean, I'm an old enough millennial that I prefer having my media in physical form just because streaming stuff and digital stuff can disappear so easily. Yeah. So, you know, the appeal of having the stack of CDs to trade through for a game that I want is, I mean, it's, it's a high appeal to me. Most of the video games that I own are on disc and not digital. The exception are the two Persona games, three and four, that were just re-released. Oh, yes. I, in fact, um, I actually, one of the few game discs I still possess, because most of them I've traded in or, or whatever, is the uh, Persona 3 Portable. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's the one that I just got on Switch, and I'm really looking forward to playing that, because I, I played 3 original, but not portable, and I'm uh -huh. really looking forward to play, I mean... Come on, Adam. It's a short, redheaded girl who uses oh, a glaive. Yeah. She's, oh, like, yeah. built She's, for me. <laughs> yeah, literally, it was you in the time stream fiddling with, you know, the space-time continuum to make sure you got a protagonist that you Pretty wanted. much. <laughs> right? You caused the butterfly effect in order to have that game exist. Uh, you know what? Having any Persona game where there's a female protagonist does my heart good. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's really kind of odd that they're just because it's such a dating sim, you know, and it's like, why don't you have this as an option normally? But then I go, well, Japan's different. Well, and it would probably also take twice as much coding to have like the different options for male and female, twice as many voice lines so that they would have, you know, if it's a female protagonist, all of the males are the suddenly uh, options because Japan be like that with queer stuff. Um, yeah. I mean, the best option would be to have your choice of protagonist and just have everyone dateable to everyone. But that's right, a little that's a little every, progressive. Everyone's just pan now. OK, no problems. We just everybody's whatever. I mean, I'm um, down for that. <laughs> 
you know, uh, I, I think that's definitely the, the path Bioware took. You know, I remember when the, with the first uh, uh, Mass Effect, you know, they were really pushing the envelope because you could there was the the straight options and then there was the one buy option. Mm hmm. And that was like, ooh, oh, my gosh. So racy. <laughs> and then Origins had a couple of uh, Origins had at least one option for buy with Liliana. And Zevran is his own. Um, Zevran is his own. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Zevran is a Z just... at the end of, <laughs> of the list. <laughs> and it's for Zevran. Yeah. <laughs> it was interesting how two handled that, where it was like some were available to both genders and some were only available to one or the other. I thought that was right. an interesting way of handling the way that attraction works in real life. Well, yeah, I, mean, I think that was the most realistic. And they were still, you know, fighting with politics to be able to even do that much. And some people felt like it didn't go far enough, you know, and it's just it, there was always something. But yeah. um, I mean... I any any well-written representation is going to get a thumbs up in my book just because we've had so many badly written uh, examples of representation. Yeah, there's there's a difference. Maybe you can explain the difference. Well, certainly you can explain the difference better than I can between representation and bait. Right? Bait. Between, I be, would I would I would characterize or, or, or pandering maybe if I'm being nicer. <laughs> sure. Well, and I think that there's a difference between pandering and bait, actually, to an oh. extent. Um, well, like, for example, uh, the fastest example of pandering that I can think of is uh, the all-female scene in Avengers Endgame. I loved it. I loved being pandered to in that aspect because I was like, yes, please pander to my pander to this demographic because we so rarely are. But that was definitely pandering. Um, oh, 100%. Yeah. Whereas like tokenization or anything like that is or baiting is. um, Oh, I hate to pull this one up. I'm going to get flamed for this one. But I think that there was a lot of queer baiting in the BBC Sherlock between John Mm. and Sherlock, where it was like there was almost the will they won't they. There was a whole lot of hinting at, you know, them being more both uh, from general like camera shots, but also lines that were said in the show. And then it never came to fruition, leaving a lot of people feeling really cheated. It's like, well, you made me watch this for this purpose, and then you never delivered. Yeah. You you basically lied. Yeah, basically. Whereas good representation, like, you can have queer bad guys, but if the only, um, you know, if you're following the Hays Code and the only representation of a queer person is the bad guy, you might want to reexamine that. Well, that was like step one, right? They're bad guys. And, and this is for ever, any like underrepresented like minority, you know, it's like step one. Okay. They can be the bad guy. Then step two, they're now magic. Oh then, yeah. <laughs> right. Like the, the magic, you know, black person who, or native American or yeah. right. <laughs> That's another big one. Like, Oh, they're the mentor. They're the old wisdom of the ages, you know, or whatever, you know, and and you're never sure if they're actually a supernatural creature or whatever. Uh, then the, the, the third one is a sidekick. <laughs> mm-hmm. right? And then and then finally, you can you can maybe have your your lead role. 
Yeah, I, I think that they didn't quite realize what a bad idea it was to have so many villains be queer-coded because then we all just fell in love with the villains. Like, that was a mistake. <laughs> uh, good villains are easy to fall in love with, you know? It's true. They're just so interesting. Whereas, like, the hero has to be kind of a little bit flat in order to have as many people as possible project onto them. The bad guy can be just as wild as they want to be, and it's great. <laughs> I think that's a that's a big reason why everyone likes Loki. I mean, other than Tom Hiddleston just being amazing, but like, and a lot, and a lot of the the queer stuff was sort of added later, um, because it's relevant to the mythology. But it really has worked quite well, I would say. Yeah. To the point where, what uh, nowadays I would consider Loki definitely like a queer icon. Which is fantastic. I'm glad that he's getting represented that way, you know, now again, after what he was in the Norse mythology, where it was like, male, female, doesn't matter. It's Loki. What do you have in your pants? (laughs) Mischief. Mischief. (laughs) It's a good way of putting it. I mean, he's one of the few Norse gods that can celebrate Mother's Day. You know, <laughs> it's true for himself. I, I love the, the 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 memes that go around sometimes of uh, Slepner like leaning up against him with a Mother's Day card in his hand. <laughs> it's really cute. Ah, uh, uh, wonderful, wonderful. Um, you know, when that happened, uh, Thor was busy trying to build a wall in order to like settle a bet with like a giant, I think. And uh, that is when Loki thought it would be funny to uh, attract Thor's horse. So he transformed into a lady horse and eventually Thor's horse caught up to her. And then a few months later, boom. And so you might say it was that horse's quest to become a father. Adam, Adam, I cannot believe that you just (laughs) used that as the transition. (laughs) Well, <laughs> wow. I mean, how, how better to do a transition than to talk about literal transition, transformation, even. Oh, we're packing it, everyone. Good night. Good. You know what? That's fair. We'll see you guys. I'm sorry, everybody. <laughs> no, that was that was terrible, and I love it. Yeah, it was appropriately ter- terrible, I'd say. Oh. Um, uh. So the the word quest, that's what I wanted to talk to you about and, and uh, by extension, everybody. And we had mentioned it a little bit last time. Uh, quest is one of those words that I think is horribly mistreated and uh, poorly represented. And I largely be- uh, blame World of Warcraft, but really most video games in general struggle with this. Sure. And uh, I think even I struggle with it because I'm so influenced by games, video games, that is, uh, that sometimes I bring that with me. And I think that's one place where we really don't want to borrow as much. Sure. But before I d- dive into like a full diatribe, what do you think of when you hear the word quest? I mean, I think of going and doing something for a purpose, which is a hugely broad definition, but it's the only one that I can think of that fits in things like story quests, character quests, side quests, and all of the things that we attach the word quest to. Yeah, no, absolutely. There, There's a lot of stuff. I was Googling a little bit earlier in trying to see what other wisdom that the, the others had, and there's actually very little. 
that I was able to find a lot of the articles that were popping up were how to write a side quest for a video game. Mm. And side quests have kind of taken over as like the first thing a lot of folks think of when you say quest. And ultimately, you're you're right. It's about having a goal and then going and doing that thing, right? It's essentially an objective, a mission, right? And it is the, it is the objective and the adventure and the resolution, like all of those things together. So the, the World of Warcraft, did you ever play it? Were you ever a Warcraft person? Thankfully, I had, I escaped that particular uh, addiction. <laughs> I have an addictive personality. Oh, uh, if I had gotten into World of Warcraft, I would have never gotten my degree. I would have probably never left Alaska, except maybe to pursue better internet. Maybe that's what saved me, is that, is that internet in Alaska <laughs> is garbage. Yeah, you know, um, I would not say that I am grateful for my time in World of Warcraft. Um <laughs> While I did manage to get a degree, I don't think I did particularly well with it. And, you know, I think it was because, at least in part, due to the fact that I was wasting time, you sure. know, and uh, that kind of sucks uh, because it is this like sort of feedback loop. So questing even takes part in that. What happens is you get a task and it's a very doable task and we like very doable tasks. Right. Stuff that we can imagine accomplishing. Mm -hmm. And then we go and we do the thing and immediately we get rewarded. And then we do it again and you get rewarded. Somebody says, good job, gives you stuff. You get XP, you level up, you know, all kinds of things happen for accomplishing this thing. And so what I think the problem here is, is part. Well, one, that's where some of the addiction comes in. Because you just keep getting that little hit. But the other thing is we end up trading a frequency of that feeling uh, versus having a very meaningful one. Hmm. One that maybe comes at great pain and time and investment, but ultimately results in a better fantasy. Yeah. (laughs) No, I'm, I'm... So, for, so to give you an example, okay, because okay, you didn't please. play WoW. So you didn't play WoW. So in um, in World of Warcraft, you might get a quest. In fact, you would often get a quest that was basically like, okay, I need you to go to this area over here on the map, and I need you to kill uh, these guys, and uh, I need you to collect this object from them that may or may not drop. And hmm. sometimes it was like, Something that made sense, like, oh, if they don't have the medallion, then they don't have the medallion. But we need the ones that have medallions. There's a certain drop rate. Go go kill as many as you need to get the thing. And then sometimes it was like, go kill these, like, four-legged animals and collect a hoof. And then they wouldn't drop a hoof. (laughs) You're like, so I, like, destroyed all four hooves in in the How did you do that? That's... Impressive. <laughs> it's like, what in the heck? And sometimes it would be more simple, like go kill ten kobolds or whatever. Sometimes it would be like go get the object. But even that was like, it's at the back of this tunnel that's full of guys that you have to kill to get there. So every quest resulted in kill X amount and come back. And so to me, that felt always felt more like a chore. Okay, 
Yeah. Like, like, you know, if I, when I was growing up, I had a chore chart. I knew what I was supposed to do. I knew what my tasks were on Saturdays and I had to accomplish them in order to enjoy any sort of peace. And so I would, you know, go through the list and do them and then probably have to redo one or two of them. Right. Um, in questing in that game, and also I would extend this to the, um, uh, Borderlands games, you know, mm. are very much like, go get, go kill 10 of this, go get me three of these, go get me, right? A lot of them are what we call fetch quests. Okay. Yeah, I, I hate fetch quests. They frustrate me so much. And unfortunately, when it comes to MMOs, they make up the bulk of the content. Hmm. You know, uh, there's also the infamous escort quest that nobody likes, you know, unless you, the NPC is like invincible in some way yeah. or they're just like don't get targeted uh otherwise what i mean i used to do uh escort quests back in the days of morrowind and you know the ai was not very far along <laughs> so if there was just like a rock in the way that npc might get confused for a while yeah i've i've heard about fetch quest or not fetch quests i've heard about escort quests for games i've never even played like a couple of the uh resident evil games where it's like they're so infamously bad that you just want to tear your ears out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's some there's some real like ugly things, and I and I think a lot of modern games, they're they're doing better about this. I'll say because usually it's like while you're on the quest, you're getting more information while you're doing it, and then maybe something happens that changes the parameters. There's a new complication. You know, I was supposed to go get the thing, but it's not there. And uh oh, an ambush, you know. Wait, in order for them to have known we were going to be there, there has to be a mole. Now we have to figure out how to get the mole out. You know, one thing kind of leads to another. On the other hand, you have Assassin's Creed and similar games um, that have like, okay, we, we have like five different tasks we can give players. And we're just going to give them to the player over and over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And this we will call content. And it's literally just doing the same chore, but in a different area. Yeah. So do you see that happen very often in tabletop role-playing games where it is like the fetch quest or things like that? Not as much, which I'm grateful for. I mean, part of the difference is that like you can get, you're in full control and you're, and the character is moving at like real time when you're playing a video game, right? And so mm-hmm. you can run and get the thing done in a, in a fraction of the time that it takes a table full of people to agree on a course of action. <laughs> oh god, the number the number of times that we've spent 2 hours arguing over what we're going to do and then in the first 5 minutes it's gone. It's just gone. It's just gone, right? Or the DM has enough of your crap so the quest comes to you and now you're attacked. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, those kinds of things can happen. But I think that by and large, uh, most of my experiences at the table have actually been pretty good um, in terms of feeling like I knew what my goal was. One, you know, okay, so I wanted to talk about like what makes a good quest, right? Mm -hmm. So when I think of the word quest, I think of something a lot kind of deeper. So. I think of something more akin to the bond on your character sheet. The bonds that exist on your character sheets, like the GM should be looking at those and developing quests from them. 
Mass Effect 2 was one of my favorite examples of what I thought were great quests. Um, because in every quest, your your job was to either recruit one of your allies or to do something that would help them concentrate on the mission. Hmm. Right? Like, you would have to settle some personal problem that they had in order to make sure that they, like, are fully committed or get a power-up or something. Right? And so everything was was very character driven, which is I, not which is not shocking for a Bioware game. No, not at all. Right. So you might remember some of these. Right. You go and find Samara after doing a bunch of like uh, investigating, and then you end up choosing. Oh no! Then later on, she makes a deal with you and tells you about her daughter. Right. And then you have to do the side quest with her and her daughter. I mean, you don't have to do it, which is nice, but it's worth doing because you go and do it and it's really interesting and there's all this character stuff and you can end up choosing uh, to keep Samara on your team or actually replace her with her own daughter. I don't know if you remember that. So I I played the beginning of Mass Effect 1 and didn't get very far. So I haven't played all of 2 or 3. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I own and, them. I just haven't gotten around to them. One was interesting because one was like, okay, here's a planet. Saren is doing a thing. Go stop him. Yeah. <laughs> right. I did I did really like the Mako. I know not a lot of people did, but I really <laughs> no enjoyed tooling around. I love tooling around in that thing. You were the one person that liked the Mako. <laughs> Apparently. And the man, <laughs> that's a strange position to be in. That was one thing that, uh, oddly enough, they kind of struggled with in, at Bioware was was uh, not side quests, but like um, mini games. Mm. Uh, in the second game, infamously, they had the planet scanning. So instead of driving around on the Mako, you would scan stuff from the Normandy to find whatever you needed. And it was like, it was just tedious. Right? That, that just sounds less interesting all the way around. Like the maker was a bit of a bear to, to navigate with, but at least I felt like I was getting to know the planet as I was falling down ravines. Yeah. I mean, yeah, at least there was that. Like in, in this one, they're like, we know you don't want to do it, but we are going to make you do something. It's like, <laughs> why make me do anything? <laughs> if, we, if we're both agreeing that no one wants to do this, then let's not do it. Right. Yeah. Um, anyway. And then the third game we just don't talk about. But um, yeah, that's what I've heard repeatedly, <laughs> often at volume. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm well, there's a there's a whole story there. Um, OK, so when I think of the word quest, I think of something that is deep and personal. I think of something that is very character driven. One of my big inspirations is uh, from Man of La Mancha, um, my, my favorite musical. Such a good musical. And uh, for those who don't know, it's based on uh, the Cervantes story of um, Don Quixote, but it has a happier ending. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he has the song called The Impossible Dream that's been uh, done and redone over and over again by various artists. And in The Impossible Dream, he says, this is my quest to follow that star, no matter how hopeless, no matter how far, to fight for the right without question or pause, to be willing to march into hell for a heavenly cause. 
like he is to me like the OG paladin. Like, like that. If you're playing a paladin, this is who you want to be. Yeah, that's actually a really good uh, description. I hadn't thought about him as being one of the OGs, but yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Well, the we don't necessarily think of him in that way because he's an insane old man, right? Um, that's his, his character is that he's man of, he is uh, Don Quixote de la Mancha in his mind only. Mm-hmm. Right. And his family's all fussing about him and people are trying to break his insanity and bring him back to reality. And then during the course of the story, they start to wonder if that's even the right thing to do because he's so happy as well, Don he- Quixote. And he was making the world a slightly better place. In the musical, we're not discussing the book, but in the musical, mm-hmm. he was making the world a slightly better place everywhere he went with his with his delusions. He made uh, Aldonza feel like Dulcinea. He you know, yes. lifted the, the spirits of the innkeeper and his wife, even as they were groaning over all of the problems that he caused. <laughs> That's right. And stole uh, the, the barber's shaving basin <laughs> and... Uh, you know, but he also gave Sancho um, a way out of his less than pleasant life, you know, to believe in something that was that was bigger than himself. And I thought that that was a beautiful story. And yeah, the the when I listened to the Broadway cast recording, um, that final number mm. where uh, Dulcinea is singing and she says, my name is Dulcinea. I'm like. Dude, I tear up in the car and I have to turn it off. Otherwise, there's going to be an accident. Um, <laughs> it's pretty yeah, big. I, <laughs> I, I worked as a stagehand on Man of La Mancha uh, when it was when we when uh, Fairbanks Light Opera Theater did it. And every time it hit that point, I got chills down my spine. Yeah, absolutely. And we and those are the good chills that you want. Mm-hmm. The ones that that's like that feeling of inspiration that really hits you and you get those positive vibes. It gives you a sense of like meaningfulness, right? Yeah, and and that is like to me kind of the holy grail. That's what we want. Of all the different feelings that we can help players feel, inspiration to me is the most powerful and also the most elusive. Yeah, you know, it's it's one thing to scare them, to traumatize them, to make them feel afraid, you know, but frankly, those are all a lot easier. Oh yeah, it's really easy to to reach in and pull on those on those strings a little bit. It's a lot harder, especially with you know, I don't know about you, but a lot of the tables that I play at have a lot of uh, sarcastic, slightly cynical people. So it's much harder to reach out and you know tug on their heartstrings and have them believing in that impossible dream for their character for themselves. Yeah, and they need to feel that, and that is such a hard thing to do, and. Part of the reason I guess I wanted to talk about it was in the last game I ran actually last night, I actually came away from it feeling pretty dissatisfied. I was like really kind of struggling. I'm like, people feel like they're having a good enough time, Mm -hmm. but I'm not feeling that investment. You know, I'm not feeling that emotional connection. And I really tried to, to think about why that was. And I, and I think there's a couple of reasons. But one, one is that players want different things from the table. And that's just an issue. But the other thing is that everything was focused on the problems that exist in the world. But they didn't really have anything to do with the characters' persons. 
their characters, right? It, like, it wasn't emotionally connected. Yeah, personal buy-in is one of the hardest things to do as a character where, you know, you need to have something that's big enough and important enough to have um, PCs go and deal with it, but also needs to be personal enough that whatever the the player characters are doing, they feel connected and personally invested in the outcome. And that's hard. Getting that investment is everything. And so I made a, I made it particularly difficult for myself. Because in this game, everybody has left their home world and is now on a new world that is like only sparsely populated, like, and it's all from newcomers. There's no native population. And so literally nobody's backstory can come with them. Mm. Right. And then that was a problem that I I didn't really see because I thought it would be so interesting to explore this world. And I thought, well, the drama will come. And some of it has. I mean, it's not a terrible game, but like it could be better. And so I I have found a way to at least for one of them bring in a lot of those personal connections from back home. We're going to be exploring that pretty soon. And I need to go through each of them and make sure that they're here for the quest, right? Different from doing a quest, we want to do the quest. And when I say the quest, what I kind of mean is we want you to go through your character arc. We want you to to th- realize what your character's raison d'etre is and to go get it. Go do it. Raison d'etre. So fancy. I know. Your reason for being. Ooh. Um, well, that's very philosophical. Yeah. Well, I mean, like every every movie character, every book character, they... You know, well, not everybody, almost all the time they go through some kind of arc, right? Something is going to happen. They're going to learn something. Their preconceived notions uh, get challenged in some way, right? So, you know, in the game you and I played together, you know, my character was like the the differences between good and evil are too arbitrary. Therefore, I'm going to hold on to the law as my um, moral compass. Mm-hmm. And either things are with law or against law because that is at least easy to define, right? And then we, and I never imagined that that would be the way he ended, right? No. I, I was like, I'm building this in on purpose so that he can, he can change, but he needed some kind of catalyst in order for that to occur. So whatever quest that we put our characters on the real purpose of them is to make the characters uncomfortable enough that they are faced with the their own flaws, right? That they're that the bond that they put on their paper is tested and that mm. we and we examine the flaw. Like the bond and the flaw, that's like the main stuff. That's really where you want to start when it comes to good quest design. And, and I so think many- that Sorry, go ahead. Well, just so many people treat that section of the character sheet as kind of an afterthought, like something that's kind of thrown on there at the last minute. If you're on D&D Beyond, it's one of the last things that you do before you choose equipment. And I think that I think you're absolutely right, because finding out who they are um, and finding out, you know, where their weaknesses are, where their strengths are, is super important. Not just, I mean, yes, obviously for this quest, for finding out 
whatever their goal and destination is. But also, who are these people? And <laughs> I mean, like, it's such a big question, but like the flaws and the bonds and the ideals, because I mean, I would also put that ideals because I mean, Don Quixote's ideal was exactly what you quoted from The Impossible Dream. That was his goal, his ideal, everything that he uh, held the rest of the world up to. So I guess that's one piece of advice to give to players when you're thinking about this. Don't ever consider those to be an afterthought. That might even be a good place to start with a character. Not only is it an afterthought, but we often forget about them once we've made them, right? Like, and if it doesn't get addressed, then it doesn't get addressed. And sometimes we don't forget about them, but we got once we got into the the steering wheel of the character, we suddenly realized that we were somebody else, right? And that maybe maybe the things we wrote down are no longer true, and maybe we should update our sheet. <laughs> well, we, we we treat those as being static so often. Like I look back at Kelladry's sheet and I look at the flaws, and I went, "That's not even close to what her actual <laughs> flaw was." Right, because let's face it, you know, a lot of times when we're making our characters, we're thinking about build. Right? Yes, 100%. <laughs> you know, because you want to feel cool. You want to do something awesome. You know, it's it's like then you do need to kind of put character on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it might be an interesting challenge to start with background, right? And actually, I would I, I would like for them to kind of reorder the book a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe for one D and D or whatever. I think you know, starting with race makes sense because you are what you are, right? But then you need to move on to like background next. And that actually makes sense if you think about like the progression of who a person is. Like you're born whatever race you are, fine. And then your background is well, who were you until you became an adventurer? So then the adventurer part should be next after that, maybe. Right, it's more chronological, let's say. You're you're born, you're raised, then you go out into the world, right? And so that makes sense. And I would like to see maybe a, a thing where based on those choices, maybe your ability scores are generated through them. I don't know. Oh, that would be really interesting. Yeah, it might be an interesting way to take it. Um, of course, you'd have to do it right, because otherwise then your background also becomes you know, like optimized, right? Well, I remember, um, I've, I've, I've heard a lot of people talk about doing not the session zero, but the level zero, mm-hmm. where you play out who these people were as farmers, as merchants, as, um, you know, bandits on the road or whatever they were before they were actual adventurers um, and actually playing through that. And then from there, you develop what your scores are. So it actually happens in you know, one, two, maybe three sessions at level zero. As I recall, during Fate School, Fate was similar to that in that you didn't necessarily have to have your sheet done uh, when you started playing. You could could allocate as you played, which is a little bit different than what you're saying, but it is that sort of, now that I'm, now that I've rolled the dice and I've interacted with other people, suddenly I have a different impression. Sure, because one of the things that I struggle with for myself when I'm building and playing a character is I don't know who they are until they're in the situations that they're going to be. Like, I going way back with Andraste, um, 
I came into that streamed game knowing only a few things about her. And I I have heard this called uh, the packing crate method of creating a character where, you know, you, when you start off with them, you have, you can imagine like a packing crate in front of you and on like the manifesto is their name, a description, and a couple of like key things that you use to really like play them or it, I, I use this in writing a lot to write them. So with Andraste, it was, she's uh, an elf cleric who spent five years alone in the woods and her entire village was was destroyed by orcs. And she's a Hufflepuff who will knock your teeth down your throat at the term uh, acceptable losses. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all I knew about her, really. Like, I didn't find out more about her until we got deeper into the game and I found out what she would sacrifice i found out what she would risk and what she would risk it for yeah i mean without those challenges we don't really even know who we are right even in real life you know you and i have our ideals but we're not typically held up at gunpoint right it's like usually not i hope (laughs) usually not right i've i've been in some weird situations nothing that bad um but like you know there things happen in our lives that test us right Mm-hmm. You believe in fairness, but now you're taking a test in school and it's worth a lot. And a lot is writing on this and the smart kid is sitting right next to you. Do you peek over at their test? Do you peek over at their test, right? And then if you do, now we have to re- reevaluate what is it that you value, right? Are you now going to go tell the teacher and, and take the consequences to maintain your dignity, or are you going to let it slide? And if you let it slide, your values have taken damage, even in a, even in the smallest way. Sure. You know, you believe in, in justice. Great. Well, what happens when justice calls for the head of someone that you care about? Hmm. Yeah, you know? that's a it's a hard call in those situations and it's yeah. You find out who you are when your metal is put in the fire. This is also another good reason why it's important that GMs have regular access to character sheets and their information so that they can review these things all the time because GMs have to think about a lot of stuff and I think that you know as a as someone who has prepped at the last minute many times same you know yeah, of course, we've all been there. A lot of times we, we think about gameplay first, right? They're like, okay, how am I going to fill up time today? Okay, well, there better be an encounter because that's going to eat an hour, right? And so we throw the encounter on and then maybe we remember to add characterization to it. Again, kind of that afterthought, just like we do with the, the bonds and flaws, you know? And that's something I, I want to get better at. Mm-hmm. But it's something that's like so necessary. It's like, number one, what am I testing? Who's getting tested today? Okay. <laughs> step right step- up, step right up. Who's, who's, <laughs> who's going to be on the trial floor tonight? Oh, that's a very nice ideal you have there. Would be a real shame. <laughs> yeah, if uh, we were to give you a literal trolley question <laughs> on, on your way to the town. You know, we can then once we know what that question is, we can then create a scenario and then we can still make sure that within the scenario are monsters that have HP that we can whittle at. 
But even the monsters, you know, they need to have their motivations as well. So that opposing you makes some kind of sense. And that there is drama in that opposition. Mm -hmm. Right now, a lot of the monsters in my Tuesday game have been completely without motivation. Because they've been essentially puppeteered by these sentient trees. Don't ask, it's weird. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> one of these and, days I'm going to listen in on one of those games. <laughs> it's really weird. I'm, I'm going to start moving away from that, though. Because I'm, I'm noticing that the, the lack of personal connection is a big problem, right? Mm -hmm. And so... Now the characters have been there for long enough that other settlers have, you know, begin, begun to really install themselves. Now we're going to start dealing with faction problems. And that'll be a lot more intriguing and interesting. I It'll think. be a lot more people-y, at least. Yeah, we need, well, you need people, right? You need personalities. And to my defense, even those sentient trees have personalities, even if they don't talk. <laughs> You know, I but, have to listen to one of these games one of these days. <laughs> yeah, yesterday they dealt with an evil tree and a at least sort of neutral tree. You know, one that's willing to, to communicate and make deals. And the other one that was like, I will murder you so that I can have more water. Um, <laughs> so. I mean, that seems like a perfectly reasonable reason to me, especially when, you know, it's trees and that's the big thing that they need. So, you know, you know what? You know, maybe my game just needs a Lorax. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I should just bring in the Lorax <laughs> so you can speak for the trees. Maybe. Uh, <laughs> he's more of like an ambassador. OK, here are the demands of the tree. <laughs> Oh, well, and this, I, this is item three is non-negotiable. <laughs> <laughs> well, and just taking like a big step back and looking at TTRPGs as like an overarching um, speaking about quests. I mean, it sounds so simple. And yet, uh, <clears throat> Watsi, you've had some trouble with this, friends. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking look, about? <laughs> you look, I still. I still have opinions about Storm King's Thunder. <laughs> oh, yeah. Jesus. <laughs> and it's that sort of thing, right? Where it's like, uh, let me see how to put this. When you're, hmm. When you are playing a game of D&D, &D, and we'll just take it in D&D &D for right now, because that's the easiest and most accessible for, for people. You need to know what the big problem is and figure out steps to get there to solve the problem. Mm -hmm. Without wishing to spoil for those who haven't played Storm King's Thunder, um, at least in, in the game that I played, we didn't know who the big bad was until very close to the end. Yep, that is that is very true. And I think when Slife Flourish did his like, rewrite of the plot, he had you meet the big bad earlier. And this is something that works really well in The Curse of Strahd. Yeah. Because Strahd is constantly meddling with you. And Strahd is in everything. And I, th and I think that that's a huge reason why it is largely considered to be the most successful module, uh, at least, you know, along with um, uh, Dragon Heist. Sure. Well, and um, 
taking it away from D&D for a minute, shocking, uh, I've played <laughs> three different campaigns of Call of Cthulhu. The yeah. one that I still hold to be my favorite and the best that has that I have played so far is Masks of Narlathotep. Because the Black Pharaoh, who was and who is one of the avatars of Narlathotep, kept poking us, kept coming in. Like anytime Ezra like leaned back in the chair and draped an elbow over the back, we were all like, oh, this guy. He's <laughs> back. He's back to annoy us, to tell us, to taunt us about the rules of the game that we didn't know we were playing and we don't know what the rules are. But it kept us constantly connected to the big bad problem at the end. And as we kept finding out more and more aspects of what was going on, we could form more of a picture of it. Compare that to the most recent one that I played, Children of Fear, where we knew what the end goal was, but man, we had the legs kicked out from us at the end of it. I won't spoil, but there was a big like twist that when it happened in the game, I just looked at, at Ezra and was like, so it was for nothing. Everything that we just did was for nothing. Hmm. Like, I almost stopped playing that night when hmm. that big twist happened, because I was like, this is... Okay, cool. We're going to go and do it right this time. Fantastic. I have no desire to continue with this. Mm. Yeah, twists are really risky. That's, <laughs> again, a topic maybe for another time. Uh, but it is a thing where you either kind of make or break your campaign on the big twist. And uh, there have been many that I have regretted. <laughs> myself. Uh, it's a tough one. It is. And a, a well-done twist can really be like, oh my gosh, I never saw that coming. That adds so much more depth and complexity to what's going on. Um, but one that is poorly executed. And I mean, I will say the one in Children of Fear is in the book. That was not an Ezra one. That was in the module. <laughs> and I was just like, this is terrible. I truly hate this. Yeah. And, and real and like Storm King's Thunder is so just it would have made a good video game right like because it's mainly just wandering around <laughs> <laughs> sure and and, it, and that would be and that would be a good story to just be like hey you get a quest that takes you over here go dive into what's going on in golden fields oh you're gonna go over to this longhouse how do you deal with this like big set of problems that leads into that uh the answer for our group was the most sadistic way possible Yes, it always was, even while everybody was debating about morality. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, that was kind of the beauty of being Flair. She didn't care. She was like, I'll set it all on fire for the sake of an interesting uh, thing that I learn. <laughs> By the way, that was a fun character to, to plan around because I was like, oh, if I just make it ridiculous and interesting, then they'll go for it. Every you know? time, anytime that, that you were like, hey, there's an interesting gadget over here that you might be interested in, I'd be like, yes, yes, I am very interested in that. Thank you. Yeah. And then uh, but the, 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 the desire for each one of those characters in that game was so different from each other is mm -hmm. hard to balance. But Well, and, and that's the sort of thing that like coming back around to it, dealing with like the big quest that's something that I think uh, every game master would do well to do, not just a session zero, which is super important um, to be like, hey, this is the tone that we're, go we're going for. And let's talk a little bit about what each of your who each of your characters are and what they want and what they're pursuing. But to also have regular check ins like I think that might have helped 
with Storm King's Thunder when I came in, because I came in fairly late on that game. Yeah, it wasn't that, too late, actually. Oh, fair enough. But <laughs> I mean, you, you were there for the majority of it. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah. But there are there are stories that I've come in very late on, like um, Rise of Tiamat. I came in when everyone was like 13th or 14th level, very late in the game. Um, I guess not quite that late, but very late in the game where like all of these other things had happened and there was no like check-in to be like, you know, what is the tone? What are the goals? What are we doing? What do I, what should I know and what don't I know? So, you know, pros and cons to all of it. Like it can be interesting to, you know, kind of isekai your way into things and go, I have no idea what's going on. Everyone gets to explain this to me. (laughs) It is a sad thing though, that once you've been with a game for some time and then you suddenly think about it and you go, I don't know why my character is still here. You know, that is, that's tough. It is. And I've I've had that happen uh, a couple of times in games where it's like, I'm, I'm choosing to continue to be here because I want to continue to play with these people. So I will find a way to make it work. But mm-hmm. there have definitely been times where I'm like, the, my character has no reason to continue with this group. Uh, he, she, they thinks all of these other people are morons and they're going to get them killed. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I was, uh, I think uh, in Zeph's case, it's more like, well, I just really like these people I'm adventuring with. So, well, and that whatever, was something, whatever they want to do. <laughs> and that was something that I thought was really well done at the beginning, actually, because like you gave her the point of connection with, um, Wow, I lost her name. Skiaris. Yeah. That, like, we had that point of connection where it's like, these two people are very close, and I care very much about her, and then I grew to care about the rest of the of the characters. So it's like, the overall goal is uh, is interesting to her, but it's not like, her goal is her goal is to get her, her, her lover out of the underworld, and if this will help her do it, cool. Cool. But she's she's not super <laughs> invested in like destroying dragons, except that the dragons destroyed her lover. Yeah, it's like a this is a, this is just a step on what I'm really here for. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, she is quite good at destroying. <laughs> but oh, by the way, are you looking forward to facing Tiamat at level twenty? I think that's going to be super interesting, to be perfectly honest. First of all, I have never taken a character to 20, so I'm very excited for that. Um, but also, like, coming back to the the big bad guy that killed us the last time that we faced off with her, I think there's, there's going to be a lot of emotions tied into that, and I love that. I think it's very cool. <laughs> Good. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I rather thought you'd enjoy hearing that. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, I think in terms of of story, that game has been much more successful because it's been there have been a lot of characters to interact with and you know ways to interact with you guys. Even though there's still a lot of place there that I wish I had done differently. And the other well, one, I, I I still feel like I need to catch up. That's always the case, though, with a game. There will always be ways that you're like, okay, I could have done this differently or better or whatever. Like, that happened with Thirsty Sword Lesbians because I was so focused on the story that I missed some of the mechanics that might have made the story better. Mm-hmm. 
It's like, but it I might was also be there for a reason. <laughs> exactly. But that's also the, I, I'm giving myself a lot of grace because it's my first time running that game and everyone had a good time. And so next time I can look at it and go, okay, how do I bring in more of this track with the, with this character to push them, to test them, to really, um, push at the the conflict that is the center of this particular playbook i want to really quick uh bring back to like how to form these quests as we're kind of wrapping up um the i want to talk about the reward phase Mm. um you know for so to just really quick i do think quests generally need to be personal and they need to be rather involved right i don't like quests where we can get something done in an afternoon Right. I like something that is like feels like climbing a mountain, let's say. Yes, but also shouldn't take like seven weeks of 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 out of game time necessarily. Or at least yeah, not all of them. That's another thing I need to work on because um, <laughs> uh, my games do go long. Um, but anyway, um, once we do bring everything back, though, once our characters values have been tested and they've gone through that ordeal, they do need to have a reward that is symbolic of their growth, right? They The, the literal seizing the sword moment sometimes needs to come with a literal sword, mm-hmm. right? Or a wand, or a gem, or a piece of information, or a new ally. You know, something needs to change. You need to have gained something to commemorate that character's growth. And also to open up the next phase, because if you, you know, you pick up a sword and you're learning more about it, it's, well, you know, this sword was carried by by this elf queen and this and this is very important to X, Y and Z. Do I return that to them? Is that the next quest? Do I learn how to become worthy as the bearer of it, which becomes more of a personal quest? So the reward phase is that dopamine drop of like uh dinging i think is what you all call it in world of yeah. warcraft <laughs> that's right yeah when you level yeah um so that you you get the that dopamine dump of yes i have accomplished something i've leveled up i've dinged i've gained something but that then also leads into the next phase of where do i go from here which i think is is one of the places that i'm really weak as a gm where i just sort of wander from one thing to the next and don't necessarily tie them together uh that's something that i'm working on well it is a worthy endeavor because i think this is a lot of the like real like meat and potatoes of building your game right Mm -hmm. like ultimately the quests make up the body of your story right what the players do and how they react to the the stimulant outside of themselves you know is is pretty much your entire experience and so it, it, the, the, the thing that Quest can really do is just make that experience meaningful. Um, one of the saddest moments in my GMing history was bringing a long-term campaign to an end and getting feedback from, from Andrew. Um, not to pick on Andrew, like, this was good feedback. Yeah. Uh, but he said, I could have been any other character and it would have been the same. And Ouch. I was like... Yeah, that was a big owie moment. And like some of that was not really true, but some of it was, you know, uh, it was I would say it was even mostly true, you know, 
Um, it was true enough that it bothered me, and it made me really want to focus on changing that for the next game. And I th- and I think I did it. <laughs> the only real problem with that game is again, it just went too dang long. Well, um, <laughs> I think that a story takes as long to tell as it takes to tell. Like, yeah. I, I I pick on quests going long, but one of the like most rewarding storylines I think that I've ever played through was in campaign one of chaos agents our second arc was focused on uh andraste and her story we Mm -hmm. took 20 episodes to find out what the problem was go into the high forest discover that it was infected and then it culminated in killing a a blight lich a druid that had become a lich which was very cool thank you nord games um (laughs) and then having that moment of channeling Radiance of the Dawn into the Lich's phylactery and cleansing the forest in one go. That was so rewarding. <laughs> Just that, like, I don't I don't picture things. I don't have a visual way of seeing, of, like, uh, I, I, don't, I don't imagine things in pictures. Mm. But I could see that moment, and it was very cool. Moments like that are really the reason we come back for another one, because we want to do that again. Yeah, we we want to feel that emotion again, and it's not easy, and it takes a long time to get it. But you know, that's what we're here to do—to try to better our craft so that hopefully that happens when we want it to. Yeah, and I mean, it's not going to happen all of the time. That's I think that's a caution that I would give to GMs who may hear this and start getting discouraged. Um, a lot of a story is, and then a thing happens. Like it's not a, it's not all going to be big emotional highs or emotional lows. It's going to be, you know, going through the moments and finding out who these people are and building relationships so that then when those moments happen, you can hit that euphoria or that deep despair that you are reaching for. Agreed. Well, um, I think that our quest of this episode is coming to an end. And so uh, if you would like to reward us, <laughs> uh, oh. well, I'll, I guess I will leave it at that. Do you have any final thoughts when it comes to making meaningful quests in, in tabletop games? Feel deeply and often on all sides. Allow yourself that freedom to really invest and, you know, there's a certain level of cynicism that is just in our natures. Resist it as much as you can. I think that last point you made is uh, maybe the most important because we we do it as a way to deflect, right? Absolutely. We, we, we feel the moment tensing up, and so we immediately go to that bathos to tell a joke or say something sarcastic and kill the moment. It's like the... The same way that we always qualify our statements. <laughs> mm-hmm. 100%. And sometimes, most of the time, it's good to just lean into that and not deflect and just feel it, whatever it is. Well, uh, I have nothing to add. That is very wise, and I think that that's a great note to end on. When it comes right down to it, uh, it's all secret ingredient, guys. It truly is. Tiana, always a pleasure to talk to you and to get your insights. Um, You have a magnificent brain. Aw, thanks, Adam. It's always always a delight to pick pick your brain because you have much more experience in this than I do. So I I offer my intuitions and I, I enjoy your experience. So thank you very much. 
My pleasure. And until next time, stay inspired. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Inspiration Point. If you'd like to support what we do, go and check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash inspiration point. If you can't support us directly, that's okay. You can also help support us by telling people about the podcast. A little inspiration goes a long way. Inspiration Point is edited and produced by Tiana Hansen and is distributed by Quest and Chaos. If you like what you hear with us, give Quest and Chaos YouTube or Twitch channels a visit. They play Dungeons and Dragons on a weekly basis and have a bunch of campaigns of Call of Cthulhu, D&D, and board game playthroughs archived on their YouTube. Join us next week for more inspiration. Inspiration.